I when last year we realized we were going to be preaching through 1 Samuel, I've been excited about this sermon. And so I am super pumped. And so let's, let's first go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, Lord, we thank you, thank you, thank you for this story. Lord, I thank you that even as a child, looking at the flannel graph, this story, story excited me and motivated me. God, I pray that you would allow me the strength to preach God's word to God's people. And God, I pray that we would walk out of this room this morning and know that there is a God and He still reigns. Oh Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, I pray that you would give me the strength. I pray that you would give me the words. I pray that you would move. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we saw last week how God had maneuvered this little David into Saul's retinue so that he could be a part and learn, and he was there playing the lyre to calm Saul down. And Saul is at battle against the Philistines, and he goes out. And gets ready to fight. And as was the, the habit in those days, they lined up across from each other. The Philistines gathered their army for battle. And they were at a place called Sokah. And Sokah is about 10 miles northeast of Bethlehem, which is where David is living. And David is shepherding there. And so the way that it would work is there's a, a valley between the two armies and on one side of the mountain would be the children of Israel and on the other side of the mountain would be the Philistines. And there they would face off against each other. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. Now he was nine foot Nine inches tall, according to the text. That's mighty tall. I remember when I lived in, uh, or I lived, I went on a mission trip to India and uh, just walking around, because, I don't know if it's because of nutrition, I just don't know if it's that people group, everybody was like a, was way shorter than me. And you know, it'll make you feel pretty big. I mean, you're sitting around looking around, I, I, I will enter this pizza hut and I will do what I like. Um, but just think about nine foot, nine inches. In fact, we have a poster out there that, that Donna put up for the kids just to show them. So it's nine foot, nine inches tall. If I, I stood at it just this morning and realized that I can't come to about Goliath's thigh. And he was their champion. And he would march out every day and say the same thing. Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come out to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your slaves. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be servants to me and serve us. Now he walked out and the text said that he had a... a uh, breastplate, and then the Hebrew, it literally says a breastplate of scales. I think the video actually did a pretty good job of showing what it was. The Philistines worship uh, uh, Molech, which was a fish god, and so this probably had religious significance as well. 57 pounds was what the breastplate was. 
So he's carrying at least in that, plus, plus the armor on his legs and stuff. He's carrying probably 100 pounds of armor on him. The, the text says that his javelin, the head of his javelin, was 38 pounds. And that the javelin itself was like a weaver's beam. Now, if you've ever seen people practicing throwing javelins, uh, I, I mean, I know that's a common thing. You sit down at the mall and stuff. But if you've ever seen that, they, they try to w- balance the weight out so that it would, it would be balanced and the head would be a little bit heavier. So you figure probably about 90 pounds is what this javelin was. So guys, you, we've done uh, uh, cleaning presses with 95 pounds. That's mighty heavy to just get up over your head, much less chuck it at somebody. So this guy was a beast, and it wasn't just that he was super tall. I worked with a guy one time uh, in Dallas that was like 7'2", something like that, and he was the most uncoordinated, unathletic dude you've ever met in your life. He was constantly just falling over. It was like he was a puppy who hadn't quite figured out how tall he was. He was constantly hitting his head on door frames, he was, and he just, he just looked uncumbersome at all. In fact, everybody would come up to him and say, dude, did you play basketball? Which drove him insane because he didn't have an athletic bone in his body, so he would always be a smile and say, no, did you jockey? And so that was like his little thing back and forth. And so, but... If Goliath could pick up a 90-pound javelin and chuck it at somebody and use it, not only was he tall, he was a hoss. And he's going around, and he didn't get in a a five-ton and go to the battle. He's walking around with 100, 120 pounds of armor on him. This guy is a beast. He is the mountain. And he walks out and says, hey, who's going to fight me? You guys think you're all big? You want to come out and fight? You just defeated one of our garrisons? You think you're the hoss? Come on! Bring it! And the children of Israel would go and run, and the text says they were sorely afraid. If you have a King James, and it just means they were scared to death. He would humiliate them, mock them. Where's your soldier? He would march back and forth in front of the line. Come on, biggin, where are you at? Who's going to fight me? And all their mighty warriors of Israel would go and hide. Well, meanwhile, David is about 10 miles away, and the text tells us that Jesse, David's dad, was pretty old. And so he couldn't go check on his three sons that were in the army with Saul. And so what he would do periodically is take David, send him with some food to his brothers, and, hey, find out what's going on and bring the news back to me. And the text says that he had done that a couple of times. So David got somebody to watch his sheep for him. And David goes to, to where the battle is. And one day he shows up with some bread and stuff for his brothers. And just as he shows up, that's when Goliath is making his walk back and forth. And David's standing there watching and just absolutely flabbergasted at this. And so he turns to some of the other soldiers beside him and says, this, how long has this been happening? Oh, this has been happening every day. And he says, well, what is the reward for whoever whoops this guy? And, and they said, hey, Saul has said that whoever beats Goliath, he'll be rich beyond his wildest dreams and Saul will give his son, his uh, son, his daughter to be his bride. And so David's asking about that and they're saying to him, and then one of David's brothers comes up, his oldest brother, and says, what are you talking about? I know your heart. You think you're the man. 
And David said, look, I'm just talking. It's just words. Now remember, as you read that, don't, don't be too harsh on David's brother because realize that David's brother has already stood in front of Samuel and heard Samuel go, he ain't the one, next. And they worked all the way down the line to this little ruddy, pretty-eyed little boy who now he's going to be the king. So David's brother probably really didn't want to hear what this little runt had to say. And David is beyond himself that nobody is challenging him. And so David says, or David spoke and he heard and all that David was talking about was taken to Saul and Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, hey, y'all quit being scared about this guy. I'll fight him. And Saul says to him, dude, you're a kid. How are you going to fight him? And David tells some stories about how, as a shepherd, he had gone up against a lion. He had gone up against a bear. He explained to him how, how God had turned that lion over to him. God had allowed him to defeat that bear. And Saul was impressed with that. Saul thought that maybe we've got some hope here. Now, I will say, I, uh, just the other day, I, Ann and I were, were just dozing off. And it's about... 11 o'clock, and I heard the dogs freaking out out in the yard. And I, I said, oh, I forgot to put the dogs up. So I go out, I go out in the garage, no dogs. And normally, my dogs are fairly well trained. I can say, hey, it's time to go to bed, let's go. And, and the, the big dog will go walk in his kennel, and then Nellie would go walk into to her kennel, and we were good. But I sit there, and I'm like, hey, let's go, let's go to bed. And they're still out there, rah, 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 flipping out. And I go to the edge of the garage, and I'm like, hey, let's go, come on, let's go, let's go. And here they come trotting up, and Nellie's looking sheepish like she's done something wrong, and Archibald's got this big big cat in his mouth. And I'm like, oh no, he's killed the neighbor's cat. I mean, I didn't even know the neighbor had a cat, but there's clearly a dead cat, and that's not a good thing. And so I'm holding, uh, uh, or I, Archibald, drop the cat, drop the cat. And I go up, and he drops the cat on the ground. He's looking at me like, what? I was just I was eating. What's the problem? So I'm like, get in the bed, get in the bed. And Archibald goes and gets in his cage. And so I go over, and because I'm thinking it's a cat, I go over and get a shovel because I don't want the neighbor to come over and find their cat in our driveway dead. So I'm going to do something with the cat. I'm not saying that I was going to bury the cat and lie to the neighbor. I'm just saying I was going to do something with the cat. And so... I walk over to the cat and I kind of poke the cat. And as I poke the cat, the cat comes up on its hind legs and throws its paws out and goes, and it wasn't a cat. It was a possum. And so I go, and actually I did a really, really masculine voice. I go, and I, I threw the shovel down and backed up just like that. And I'm standing there and this possum is standing over my shovel and I'm standing in the driveway in my underwear going, this ain't good. <laughs> and so I eased over to my big dog's cage and opened the cage and him go, go get him, go get him. <laughs> and Archibald looks at me like, I'm already going to bed, dude. I don't know what you got going on. <laughs> and so I, I eased toward the truck because I was going to get my pistol because I'm going to shoot this thing, and I am scared to death. My heart is in my throat. It's beating a 1,000 miles an hour. I, Nellie has got blood all over her face where she's been fighting with this thing. Archibald's like, I ain't getting out of this cage. And I ease over to get, get the pistol, and I'm realizing that I don't even have a clear shot. Even if I had the pistol, I would shoot Molly's car because of where she parked. And so I got nothing here, and then thankfully, this possum just kind of trots off. That's the opposite of what David did when he came up against the lion and the bear. 
He didn't go, ah, and throw his shovel down. I promise, it was really masculine when I did it, though. At the time, I was like, yeah, you possum. I got to get a gun. So, David shares these stories with Saul, and Saul says, all right, come here. And so he puts his armor on David. He puts his helmet on David. Here's David holding his sword. And just imagine, if you will, a young man who's trying on his daddy's clothes. It's oversized. It doesn't fit. It's unwieldy. And David says, uh-uh, this, this isn't me. And so he sets his stuff, takes the stuff off. He sets it down, and he gets his staff, which is a stick that's being used by a shepherd. And he goes and gets five stones. And he walks out. And Goliath thinks this is hilarious. He saw David. He was angry that Saul had sent out this little boy. And he says, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cussed David out by his own gods. Come to me. And I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Now, even in this depiction that we just saw, most of my life as I've heard this story, I've always thought, put myself in David's position and felt like David would be scared to death. Here's this guy, nine foot, nine inches tall. Here is David, 12 or 13 years old. I read the story, and all week I've been trying to read different commentaries and stuff because I'm trying to figure out what is Saul thinking? Is Saul already thinking that he's going to be the king and he's trying to get David killed off? Is Saul, but that can't be the case because in the verses before that, Saul doesn't even, or says that Saul loved David when David's playing for him. He loved him, so it couldn't be that. And we read at the end of the story, after everything happened, Saul turns to one of his buddies and says, who was that? So David was just a servant guy. He didn't even recognize who he was and what was going on. He's like, who's that guy's dad? What's going on? And so in my mind, I'm picturing David standing out there just like these actors did with knees knocking, going, oh, dear Lord, what's going to happen? Because here's Saul, all, I mean, uh, uh, Goliath, all nine foot, nine inches of him, the champion of the Philistines, saying, am I a dog that you're going to come to me with a stick? Come on, boy, bring it. I'll feed your flesh to the birds of the air. David's looking up. But the text won't let us believe that he was actually afraid. Listen to what David says and does. You come at me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know he's shaming the Israelites behind him, that the Lord does not say with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hand. Doesn't sound like anybody who's scared to me. And when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, 
Does David shy down? Does David tremble as he goes? No, it says, and David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. He's running and digging for ammo as he's running. This ain't somebody who's afraid. He's reaching in his bag. He gets the rock. He gets ready. He flings that rock in just as sure as an arrow. Whap! It hits Goliath square in the head. All nine foot, nine inches of him became a sack of meat. Whoom! David doesn't even have a sword, so he goes up, takes Goliath's swords off, and as um, Carmen Licadelia said, he shows everybody in Israel how to get ahead. Hump! Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> it wasn't my joke. That's why I gave, gave him credit. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and killed Goliath good stuff. And again, after it's all over, Saul said, leans over and says, whose son are you, young man? And David said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Right, there's two big things I want us to see in this. Okay, if you look at the cast of characters in, you had the Philistines, they had their champion who was Goliath, you have the children of Israel, and in all of their minds, they thought what they needed more than anything was a champion to match Goliath. And where David was different is he walked up and he thought, instead of thinking that they need a man who will be their champion, he said, Israel, Israel's already got a champion, and his name is Yahweh. And this guy, all nine foot nine inches of him, is pretty puny compared to him. David has no doubt who the champion of Israel is. All of his faith is placed firmly in him. And that's why David can walk out without any fear, without any worries. Now we've talked about, as I've brought this up before, in fact, I want to say the very first sermon I ever preached at North Glencoe, I asked the question, could, David ha could God have defeated Goliath using Saul. I mean, just philosophically speaking, could God have used Saul to defeat Goliath? Absolutely he could. He could have used anybody he wanted. And Saul could have overwhelmed him. God chose in his sovereignty and in his wisdom to ordain and orchestrate the circumstances so that instead of a man who was a head taller than everybody else, a man who had armor and a sword, when everybody else in Israel, we were told two chapters before, was fighting with hoes and, 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 and sizz, he chose to use a little boy. Because he gets the glory. I just, uh, this week, Donna uh, was talking with someone who was saying that over the course of the last two years, their church has shrunk by about half. And how they're, they're depressed and they're worried and they, 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 they don't know what they're going to do. And as we were talking about that, I, I, I kind of thought of the fact that, see, we make life sometimes about us and about what we're doing, and that's, that's the mistake. See, God loves to use broken little things. 
Because when we, he uses broken little things, then they don't get the glory. He gets the glory. Remember when, when God asked one of the other kings of Israel, was Israel the greatest nation when I chose you? No, you were but a little thing. I chose you so that my name would be magnified among the nations. Because nobody thought what a great group of warriors the Israelites were. They always thought what a mighty God they have. And God chose to use David instead of Saul because when David did it, everybody said, what an amazing God they have. And so as we come up against the struggles in our life, as we think God can't use me, remember that God loves to use things that everybody else in the world thinks is worthless. And I bring that completely home. And that I am the chief of sinners. And if God could reach down and not only save me, but then use me, then he can do that with anybody. So we see, first of all, that the reason why David was fearless, the reason why David was, was so successful is he understood that God was the champion of Israel. The second thing that we see in this text is that God shows his character here as he does throughout the Old and New Testament that God loves to use things that no, to surprise the world so that he gets the glory. And the last thing that I want us to see is this. In this story, I, I'd say most of my life, whenever I hear this story, I put myself in David's role. So I think, as I hear the story, you know, if I'm coming up against troubles in my life, whether it's, it's financial troubles or whether it's sickness or whether it's other people attacking me or whether it's... Um, one thing or the other. I mean, there are, there are people in this room, there are people in this room that have been told by a doctor, you might have six months to live. There are people in this room who, it's the 23rd, and they ain't no money in the bank to make it to the 30th. There are people in this room that are thinking to themselves, if something doesn't change soon, this marriage is done. And so we hear this story, and we want whatever our problem is, our trouble, to be the Goliath, and I'm the David. And so if I just pick my rocks up in faith, then I can slay my Goliath, and we can do it, and God will get the glory because I'm, I'm doing it through him. And that's not necessarily a sinful way to look at it or a bad way, but let me show you a better way. What if... What if David is Jesus and Jesus is the king, conqueror, hero of the story? What if David is Jesus and we are those Israelites who are back here going, we need somebody to save us! Ah! What if we're the ones who are afraid that when Goliath marches out and says, today I'm going to defeat you, 
And we know we can't stand against him. But we're the Israelites over here weeping and crying. And what if we get past our problem for today? You know, I say all the time that if somebody comes to CR and they're an addict, their biggest problem isn't that they're an addict. Their biggest problem is they need Jesus. And as a believer, whatever my problem is, my car won't crank, my, my health is down, my marriage is falling apart, even as a believer, that's not my biggest problem. My biggest problem is that I'm allowing my sin, my shame, my wrath to all fall on me, and I'm not following after Jesus the way that I should. Maybe the Goliath in my life is the enemy, the devil, who's whispering in my ear, you're not good enough. You can't serve God. Think how many times you've sinned. Think of all that nasty stuff you've done. Think how wicked you are. You can't do anything for God. Sit down and shut up. Maybe the shame that is rightfully falls on my head is Goliath. Maybe the wrath of God that the Bible says throughout the wages of the, what I earn, my wages for sin is death. And I have no hope for any other. And so here is Jesus, the lamb that was slain, the lamb without blemish. Here's me back in the background. And there's Goliath. And Goliath is dead. All of those things the enemy wants to throw on, your, on you, all of the times that the enemy wants to say you can't do anything for God, all of the times when, when the enemy wants to be all up in you, all of the wrath that you deserve, all of the shame that you deserve, is lying dead. So that I can say with the authority of God's word, when I'm about to draw my final breath, I'm laying in a bed, everybody's standing around crying, Andy Griffith is on the TV and I'm about to die. There can be no doubt in my mind that my last breath, my next step is in the text. That to be absent from the body is to be present with God. I am victorious, not because I'm the man, not because I stand and do anything, but because I'm following after a Savior who has won that day when he got up out of the grave and the ladies came to, our, uh, to, to anoint his body and the angels looked at him and said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? We know because he has risen, I can live, I can be free, and those who he has freed is free indeed. Goliath is dead. Father God, Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that I don't have to be David. I thank you that you are victorious over death, hell, and the grave. I thank you that you are my king. God, there are people in this room who aren't following after their king. And so, God, I pray that you would give them the strength 
to confess their sin and to turn to you, to live every day following after you. You've already won the victory, God. Help us to believe it. God, there's people in this room that have never called on you to be saved. And God, I pray that you would give them the strength today to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. God, if there's anybody in this room that's looking for a church home, God, I pray that you would have them to join, have them to join with us, Lord, so that we can get in a fight together. Take this story outside of these walls. In Jesus' name, amen.